Hey, hey, and welcome back to Mayo Matters. I am Tessa Verrio, your host, and today we are excited to talk with Timothy King from Fast and Functional. Timothy is a myotherapist from Australia who has developed a functional neuromyofascial technique, which he now shares and teaches across the industry. During this episode, we touch on what neuromyofascial technique is and how it is specifically related to the temporomandibular disorders and oral facial pain. This episode of Myo Matters is proudly sponsored by Fast and Functional, training manual therapists to get brilliant results in half the time. Find further information at www.fastandfunctional.com. Welcome, Tim, and thanks for being with us. Pleasure. It's great to be here. Now, Tim, before we dive into all things temporomandibular disorders, can you outline for me the basics, which I know you're all about, which is neuromyofascial technique. That is a really lot to say. <laughs> what is it and what is it about? I'm struggling to get it through. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't come up with a simpler term, I'm sorry, <laughs> because I think as myos, we're familiar with myofascial pain. We know myos muscle, we know fascia's connective tissue, endomysium, perimysium, et cetera. But my conviction, especially as I started treating patients 20 something years ago, was I would observe a patient, for example, with pain referred from upper trapezius, which would run up their neck and onto that mastoid process behind their ear. And I'd say, well, I, I know that's a Travel type pattern. Now, the caveat, of course, is, all right, it's not evidence-based. We have, don't know why that pain's there. All right, so yeah. let's just deal with that. Um, but the patient presents with it and I would work on that trigger point location for using a cross fiber style of technique for 30 seconds and then get them to reproduce their movement and there'd be no pain and no restriction and so I presumed that was a neurological response so Mm. I've actually I haven't massaged the muscle loose. I haven't warmed it up. I haven't done anything like that. I've done a very brief manipulation on a very specific point and completely changed their pain and their range of movement. And so that principle was intriguing to me. And so I just started extrapolating that, like using that everywhere in the body. And, um, and so it became a conviction that that must be a neurological response. So I've researched it a lot since both formally and informally. And I'm very convinced now uh, without going into lots of detail just just yet that um, we are dealing with a neurological response. So therefore, neuro, myo and fascial are all significant. So central nervous systems involved, that local fascia is involved and they are communicating together. And so physiologically, I presume that's what's happening. So I've just called it a FNFT, which is a functional. So you've got to include movement and restore function. It's a functional neuromyofascial technique. I like that. When you summary. Yeah, when you (laughs) explain those giant words, it totally makes sense as to where they all fit together. Mm. Now, to expand on that, when you say that we're having a neurological change from that manual therapy, are we looking at directly having an impact on that feedback to the brain or are we physically having a change on the musculature does it is a chicken or egg concept here what are we what are we actually seeing occurring through there i think it's almost certain that we're not physiologically changing the muscle so we know from the research that you can't manually change the architecture of the muscle 
So we know that if a muscle provides a greater range of movement or the patient experiences a reduced sensation of stiffness or pain, that the body has changed, it's, it's let's say recalibrated and it's changed its that kind of afferent or we should say efferent output. It's mm. actually changed the perception. It's changed the sensation. And it's not because I have made it looser mechanically. So I haven't changed the architecture. We know that, you know, you can't, release fascia you know i've seen some memes that say <laughs> you can't release fascia it's true you can't you know <laughs> we're not the hulk it's not how this no works. no that's exactly it's not <laughs> how it works. and so it became a passion for me to be able to try and educate my therapists that you don't need the no pain no gain you don't need to work with your elbows it's just not necessary if you're precise if you're intentional and quite specific and you retest i.e functional Mm. Uh, frequently to see if you made a change because a therapist in my experience when I train therapists they'll work for 20 minutes and then they'll retest I'm like work for 30 seconds and retest if it's changed stop do something else like we're on a different yeah let's area. not keep just pressing why keep replay? Pressing? <laughs> yeah it's only your your perception your thinking it's only your philosophy your what yes. you think you're doing to the muscle that makes you go for another 20 minutes if you've created the change then leave it alone, like, and just then educate the patient to use the movement. Yeah, we're all about saving ourselves, yet we're not doing a very good job of actually doing that. (laughs) 100%. Yeah, no, I really like that concept. It's kind of like, you know, if you have a house, let's paint the inside rather than completely renovate it. It has a really different change that occurs to the area that's coming from a different aspect. And it's just probably something that many don't explore. It's occurring all the time, but we're just... Would you nearly say overdoing things? Whether you're using a hands-on technique or, you know, I've seen some of those photos in forums and things with people with 400 dry needles in their back. <laughs> or, you know, we, we, are, we often overdo things. And it's a real scattergun approach. It's not it a really good is. diagnostic approach. So you need to know what intervention did I do and what change did it create? Or you, you can never reproduce it. You can never measure it. And so you need, a, you need to be scientific in that respect. I should throw another caveat in there. When I say neuro, I'm not talking about peripheral neuropathy. I'm not talking about nerve compression. I'm talking about muscle. I'm talking about a sensation of stiffness in muscle and referred pain from muscle or fascia. We're still trying to figure that out. Mm. Not nerve compression, but it's definitely the neurology in the muscle that's, that's responding to the intervention. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And it's that concept of, you know, if we apply four or five different techniques over a 45-minute treatment, how do I know which one of those has actually been successful to replicate it? And I think that's a really important So true. Yeah, for therapists to ask that, am I doing too much and not actually knowing what's successful and just kind of winging it, which is, is it's a scary concept when you put it like that, really. Yeah. Now, when it comes back to us talking about temporomandibular disorders, which... Um, We've already found both of us are very excited about. So Mm. you run a really in-depth course, which is online, but also super simple in regards to temporomandibular uh, disorders and also oral facial pain. And it really aims to educate that kind of gap that we find is missing with temporomandibular joint. What do you think are some of the misconceptions around temporomandibular joint or oral facial pain in our industry? misconceptions a huge misconception in the dental industry with tmj yeah because dentists have 
carried the role of being the primary caregivers for TMJ. Mm. And TMJ has become, or TMD, temporary mandibular disorders as a category, TMDs have become um, this enigma that everyone's a little bit afraid of because dentists will employ $100,000 worth of equipment to, you know, and they'll put EMG, like uh, EMG monitors on people's faces and on their neck and everything to measure which muscles are more active, which muscles are less, less active. They've invented this whole thing called neuromuscular dentistry. And the big misconception is if you're a dentist, then if all you've got is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. And the reason I say <laughs> that is because dentists know teeth. And so that's what they know. And they know it really well. So if you know lots about teeth, then TMJ must be a result of problems with the teeth because that's what I know about. And so the way your, your occlusal surfaces of your teeth meet, uh, which is called your occlusion, has yeah. been, or poor occlusion, has been blamed for TM, TMDs. And so dentists will engage in highly technical interventions and plates and scanning and all sorts of things to correct that occlusion all the way to the point where they'll do um, reconstructive dental surgery, where they'll resurface all of your teeth and change the shape of all of them, cost, oh, you, 20, yeah. cost you 20K or 30K, to change your occlusion to fix your TMJ. So dental occlusion, occlusion has now been, there are now some whistleblowers in the dental industry who are pointing out that the evidence simply does not support this idea that occlusion, poor occlusion causes TM, TMJ. So there's that misconception, that's in the dental world. But what's, what that's done is that it's made TMJ treatment like this specialty of the dental world where people need to spend 20 grand to fix something. Yeah. And so the musculoskeletal therapists like us or physios um, think it's out of our league and it's quite the opposite. And so that's a misconception as well. It, it can be complicated. It certainly can be multifactorial, but I would say 60 to 80% of TMD presentations and pain, good, solid clinical musculoskeletal problem solving will fix it. Yeah. yeah, and you really think, you know, like our jaw is constantly moving based off muscles and neurological feedback and joints. And you think, well, if the teeth are malaligned, surely we've got to have some portion of our musculoskeletal system that's playing in that, which is our bread and butter. But we just seem to completely turn a blind eye to that region as if we don't have muscles in our face. <laughs> I know, I know. And uh, physios are the same. I was listening to a very prominent physio the other day who, who, who's a TMJ type specialist. And he was saying they yeah. learned virtually nothing about it in their physio courses. Yep, absolutely. Uh, myos, we learned that there's a jaw there and that's about it. It has teeth in it. Wonderful. Uh, and there's teeth in it. And so you do need to learn a bit more. Like it is a unique joint. So um, it really is. to be technical, it's a ginglomodiarthrodial joint. Which means, yeah, how's that for a word? That is a good word, though. I it's like it. It's a ripper. It. <laughs> it makes you sound like you know what you're talking about. It sounds like I should charge $20,000 yeah. for it. <laughs> That's so true. I was amazed when a dentist invited me into the dental world to, um, to help her address her TMJ patients. And I gave her techniques. She used them and they worked. And she was just amazed. And we were both amazed because we were like, what? I can't believe people are spending... 
10 grand, 20 grand on addressing this, this pain. Um, now, sure, there is a 5%, maybe 10% of uh, patients that are highly complex and may mm. require surgery. It's no different to any other musculoskeletal yep. area. Um, but that gingliomodiarthroidal word simply means that the jaw joint, you do need to learn a little bit about the jaw joint so you can understand how it works. But it only takes half a day of homework or a few hours to understand that it's both a hinge joint and a gliding joint. So when your mouth opens to 25 mil, it's acting just as a hinge, but to open past 25 mil, it has to glide. So it's doing two things and it's literally got two, so diarthrodial, it's got two joint capsules, one either side of a, a disc that separates. So it's, it's a really, really interesting joint. But once you kind of understand its mechanics, you can make sense of the way people's mouths move and you can make sense of why a disc might click and, and that type of thing. And you can make sense of how the skeletal muscle operates the joint. Yeah, absolutely. And are we also looking at, you know, like we're having oral, fa oral facial pain here and we're not specifically accounting TMJ for only TMJ pain. Are we connecting it to things like headaches or tooth pain or sinus pain? Like, are we connecting it to other things at the same time? Yeah. Great question. This is a great conversation. Um, <laughs> it's, it was bound to be amazing with both of us. So excited about I it. I know. I know. <laughs> It's nice to talk to someone who just asks all the right questions. <laughs> um, now I've forgotten the question. Yes. So we say orofacial pain because there is your TM joint sits immediately in front of the tragus of your ear. The tragus of your ear is that little knob that sits in front of your ear canal and your TM joint sits immediately in front of that. And so you can have localized joint pain in that TM joint, but most TMDs, so temporomandibular disorders, present as pain somewhere else. So it'll be pain in the teeth, in the jawline, in the maxillary sinus, under the eye, or headaches. And this is also another reason why, as myotherapists, we are so valuable because dentists don't treat cervical. And... Yeah. The relationship between, so for every TMJ presentation that I see in my clinic, I'll assess and treat their posture and their cervical function. And I can differentially diagnose by going, do you get headaches as well? And figure out which of their headaches may be related to their jaw and which of their headaches may be related to their cervical spine and address them a little differently. But certainly for patients who've had a long-term TMD, there'll almost certainly be a cervical component and you really need to address the big picture um, rather than just just the joint yeah absolutely and I know that that upper cervical region also is involved in some accessory movements that need to occur through that TMJ so it is Correct. really important that when we are talking about TMJ pain or treating of it that we are also looking at you know like possible headaches that are unresolving or that tooth pain that's unresolving after you've had 45 mm. fillings into it. Like, mm. can we start to assess different regions that mm. have been that underlying cause or a primary cause to what people are experiencing? Mm. Now, you've already kind of answered this for me, but what makes it so important for clinicians to be educated about the TMJ and what things do you think are commonly missed by us? Yeah, okay. I'm just trying to prioritise my thoughts. So the pain is really where the problem is. Yeah. So that's really important. We know that from cervicogenic headaches. Yes. One thing that's really, I work with a lot of dentists and maxillofacial surgeons mm. these days. I was lucky enough to go and watch a jaw replacement surgery the other day. Got to got a, an invite from a MaxFax 
to go and watch, which was awesome. Brutal um, surgery? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they cut the head off the condyle and they <laughs> removed the You disc. can't see my face. I'm very dramatic <laughs> right now. Like, I knew it was dramatic, but that was a what kind of look there <laughs> from Tess. Um, <laughs> yes, that was fun. But, um, yeah, the pain is often not where the problem is. One of the reasons I love working with, I really enjoy working with maxillofacial surgeons and uh, dentists is that they don't bat an eyelid when you mention myofascial pain because they see it all the time. So masseter, for example, um, can harbour trigger points. Now, I don't actually believe a trigger point is a trigger point, but let's not be too technical. Let's just keep it simple for now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole nother podcast. Um, But nonetheless, those locations in specific parts of specific muscles have specific referred pain patterns that we don't yet understand political caveat whatever but that upper anterior portion of masseter can refer pain into the eyebrow Uh, the lower along the border along the ramus of the mandible that aspect of masseter can refer pain into the lower molars and most dentists have some idea of these referred pain patterns that are very prevalent very common Um, so you can believe that Travell and Simons and their work 60 years ago was was wrong, but it wasn't wrong. It was just clinical observation. Sure, okay, their theory about trigger points might have been wrong, but the pain patterns they observed, if you know them well, you will see them all the time and you will treat the right areas and you'll actually fix them. But the pain is always referred. So it's not where the, the cause is. So that's that's the first and most important thing, probably. The other thing, and this again is so important for myotherapists to know is that about 70 or 80 percent of tmd presentations are pain referred from muscle so they're not joint articular inflammatory in nature and so they're right down our alley like perfectly down our alley and so much so that dentists who have made a career out of training other dentists how to treat TMD and they'll they'll drop 50 grand on training these dentists to treat TMD and what they teach them is wait for it neuromuscular dentistry <laughs> because they have figured out that the pain all comes from the muscles yeah and so that's what they're treating and that's what they call it and it's like wait a minute that's what we do isn't that what we're meant to be isn't treating? that our job <laughs> <laughs> so they're probably the two most important things the pain is typically not where the problem is and it's more muscular than articular. Yeah, which is enormous. And like you just think about it, like that's as a myotherapist, that is exactly what we are. We are manual and yes, we are joint and neuro as well, but mostly on that kind of um, muscle side of things. And you think that's exactly our alley, exactly where we are, but we just don't grapple with it like our dentistry do and attach that somewhat eliteness to treating that mm. and that comes with that all that specialty area when it's funny you, it's funny you mentioned specialty area because mm. when i first started interacting with dentists i'm like oh yeah tmj yeah i treat that and i get pretty good results i guess and fix 70 or 80 percent of patients quite well in relatively few treatments so whatever it's 200 bucks worth of treatment right <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't think much of it. I've done that for 20 years. And that's why when this dentist engaged me and said, show me how you do that, I didn't think of it as a specialty area. I just thought of it as one of the things we do. But now I'm, you know, dentists talk to me and think I'm amazing because it's a specialty area or something. But it takes a bit of extra learning, but it's not. It does, yeah. It's not 
complicated. Like you just need to know that sharp articular inflammatory pain wants rest. <laughs> Muscular referred pain wants more movement, maybe some exercises and heat. You know, you're 70% of the way there. That, that's pretty much Tim's course in a nutshell, guys. There it is. <laughs> Don't buy it. Just do that. <laughs> It is really though. And it's, I think, you know, it's just like understanding how a shoulder joint works. It's very complex and it's got a lot of cool things about it, but if we can just understand what its movements are, what is involved with it and how it gives those referral patterns off, it becomes very clear about why things are not kind of happening as they are. And you think, how have people missed this so many times frequently Mm. before um, when you get your client that comes in with severe you know, like headaches or sinus pain and that they've had all their adenoids out and they've had things drained and it's just not working for them. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been amazing to talk to you today, Tim. Um, I'm really lucky that you're here to share your knowledge with all of us. And I have no doubt our listeners are now definitely thinking, damn, I need to go and have a look at that TMJ. Um, (laughs) And also questioning what their kind of knowledges are around things Mm. and putting those places together. So I really thank you for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and we really look forward to all your work coming out. Absolute pleasure. So if people are looking into it, the first course I made was a six-week course for myotherapists. Like I made it just for myotherapists because I used to treat 100 patients a week and I looked around and I was saying this earlier that I just wondered what myotherapists were like fluffing around, wasting their time yes. and they could be fixing so many people. And so I thought I'll kind of explain my 20 years of knowledge for every part of the body, whether it's back pain or ankles or headaches. And so that was that's a foundations course. And then in the last five years, I've collaborated with this dentist and mm. at her request. And that's kind of dragged me into the dental world and forced me to do lots of ongoing education. And I studied at SSNT recently and I used that as a good excuse. Whenever I had an assignment, I would study the, do a critical literature review on the use of splints or I would, you know, <laughs> so I, I could deepen my knowledge into TMJ. And so there's a TMJ course now as well. It's about eight hours and 50 videos or, or something like that. But I really do want to get that kind of stuff into the hands of myotherapists. I was saying to Tess earlier, dentists have deep pockets. They, you know, it's nice to sell to dentists, but um, I'd be willing to offer like 50% off those courses if you reach out to me, um, if you're a myo, um, just so you can get your hands on it and start to help more people. Yeah, and I love that. You have such a long experience in the industry, particularly in with myo Um and although that also that collaboration between Mayo and other allied health as well, which is a really nice connection for us all to start making. And I can already hear people's brains being like, what? He treats 100 a week. How is this guy still functioning? Um, <laughs> that we've talked about your concepts and how you go about things. And it's about being really specific and really purposeful about what we do with mm. our treatments and our assessments and not overdoing things, really just coming Mm. back to the raw, what our job is and really getting focused into that. So go and check Tim out, guys. He has so much to offer now um, in our world, particularly for our Myos. And it's been a pleasure to have you, Tim. Pleasure, Tess. Thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We are very dedicated to delivering valuable information to our members. So if you have any guests that you would like to hear from, get in touch with our team so we can get them on our podcast. Don't forget that Tim has offered us 50% off his courses if you enter in the Myo Matters code. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to check out our website for upcoming events and online professional development opportunities. Stay tuned for our next episode of Myo Matters from Myotherapy Australia.